0: We're just going to take a few minutes, kind of walk through Psalm 126 a little bit, especially the last three verses. I want to talk to you about planting your tears, planting your tears. Now this is sorrows, tears, pain, loss. Unfortunately, these are all things that that we all have in common. Uh, It's it's all part of living in, in this world. It's a common experience for all of us because of the sin that's around us and unfortunately the sin that's also in us. So there, there are three ways that we can handle our tears, our, our sorrows, our disappointments, our, our frustrations, those things that, that literally grieve our hearts, whether it be some form of physical loss or emotional loss or, or what, financial losses as, as well. There are three ways that we can handle our tears and our difficulties. Uh, number one, we can suppress them. You know, a lot of people do that kind of thing. We've all probably done that to where we just kind of st- stuff those things down into us. And the only problem with suppressing emotions is that sooner or later, what happens? It's going to come out, right? There's going to either be an explosion or an implosion of the person, right? So we can suppress those those things, which is not recommended, which means that you ignore them, deny them, and and those are all real psychological problems we deal with. Uh, You can become hard, bitter, dark, depressed if you suppress. Or you can go to the opposite. You can vent you know we all know people that just vent you know you, you ever been I mean you can find them in Walmart they, they're right there in line venting you know what I'm talking about they're just letting it out just little by little sometimes sometimes not so little uh, to vent your emotions means to express them and we, we've got a saying for that about wearing your feelings on your sleeve uh, people say things like this this is just how I feel whether you like it or not or or this is just how I am like it or not you know we folks say that kind of thing but Venting all the time, in inappropriate ways, uh, creates serious carnage in relationships, doesn't it? It creates serious destruction around and actually is destroying the, own, the person's soul, but it's also destroying relationships around them because venting never quite deals with the root. It just doesn't go deep enough for the healing that needs to take place in us. And venting, as well as suppressing, it can turn you into a very bitter and angry person. Kind of on the edge all the time. The third way to handle it is, is, is a way that the Scripture teaches us. And God always has a third way, you know. The world seems to have one or two ways. If you notice when Jesus has a has a, a confrontation or, or conflict or an encounter with somebody asking him a question, they say, Jesus, is it like this or like this? And what does Jesus always do? He always comes up with a third option that nobody ever thought of. So there's a third way that we can handle these emotions that that need to find an expression in us and out of us. Uh, There's a third way to handle it. And that's what we're going to talk about from Psalm 126. You can learn to plant your tears in God. Can you say that with me? Plant your tears in God. Now this is a faith skill. This is a life skill that we all need to develop. And it helps us properly process and deal with all the things that are really dealing with us in our lives. processing sorrow, loss, grief, those are all real important things that we learn to process those things properly so that we can move forward in a more healthy way. So not only does this keep us in touch with ourselves and the, the, the human that God created us to be, but planting our tears in God creates this bond between us and God as we walk through sorrow together. You know, Jesus never promised to take away all of our sorrows. He just promised to be with us in the middle of it, didn't he? That's right. All right, so let's read Psalm 126. Let's read it in its entirety, and we're going to kind of major on the back part of it. Psalm 126, it says this. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Now, this is a psalm that's written as they come out of Babylonian captivity. It's, it's like they come out of quarantine for like 70 plus years. Okay, imagine that. We, we've been in quarantine for what? 45, 50, 60, 70, 80. Uh, who lost, we lost count, didn't we? For however many days. Now, imagine uh, two whole generations being locked down in captivity uh, to a great oppressor. And they come out. And it says that when we came out, it was like a dream. It was like a dream come true. We're free now. All right. Verse number four. Bring back our, ca- our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Verse number five. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Verse number five, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we just ask you to just help our minds to grasp what you want us to hear today. Lord, that you would help us to become stronger of heart. You would bring healing to our souls. And Lord, you would help us to enter into this process you're talking about of sowing in tears so that we can reap in joy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's talk about the myth, the way of Jesus, and planting in hope. The myth that many of us live with, and it's things that I've had to process myself as well. Many believers live with this myth that if I do good, then bad things won't happen. You know, it's not, it's not true, is it? If I do everything right, then everything will go right. Is that, is that life? But we, we tend to live with some of that undercurrent. It creates a lot of self-righteousness in us, and and helps us not to fully trust God and His goodness and His mercy. We also live with the other side of this: if things are wrong, I must have done something wrong, and I'm being punished. You know, it's not necessarily true either, is it? Now, it could be consequences could be a part of of what's going on in in our lives from time to time, but neither one of these statements are necessarily true, especially if you look at the life of Jesus and other believers that throughout history that that sometimes they do everything right and everything still goes wrong. Now, we don't like to think about that reality, but sometimes it does happen that way. And we can't live with this idea that if I do everything right, then I'll be blessed. Now, we've got to learn that grief and sorrow is compounded when we think like this. Because, see, we not only process the situation, now we have to process through this myth, which is just another word for lie, that that we've created as the foundation of our life. Because we not only suffer from the problem, you suffer from the guilt and the condemnation and or self-pity that comes through believing things like this. Now listen to what Romans 8 says over us as believers. Romans 8:1 says this. You probably could quote it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that tells us? That that God never uses condemnation or guilt trips, we could say. God never uses condemnation as a way to get us back in the right. He never uses that. Isn't that interesting? So if condemnation, and the condemnation is that thing that, that buries me, it makes me feel worthless, it makes me feel like I'm less than, it makes me feel like I'll never get out of this. It, condemnation is not God's voice, it's the adversary's voice that's always trying to keep us bound to whatever that situation or circumstance or problem might be. God never uses that kind of thing. God uses conviction, but He never uses condemnation. There's a big difference in that. Because see, con- conviction will point you upward to God. It'll point you to his kingdom and to his solution. Condemnation always causes you to go here into you. You know, every time I look into me, I get more depressed and depressed and depressed. How about you? Mm -hmm. Now, no condemnation. So God doesn't use that. Now, we got to embrace discipline from our father, but not guilt and condemnation. And I think us as preachers, we've got to continue to learn that because sometimes we've learned that, you know, guilting people can be a good, good way to get them down to the altar. It can be a good way to get them to give them more money in the fundraiser. But you know, God doesn't use that, neither should we. You know, even as, as parents, moms and dads, even as parents, we've got to be real careful with that because that's not a that's not a way or a pathway to righteousness in this kingdom to bring condemnation. All right. Everybody good? Can y'all hear me over there? Lance, can you get you hear me good? All right. Pud, you hear me back there? You good? Now, in some ways, a believer may actually cry more than others. Now, let me explain that. Because, see, we suffer from our own sorrows that we go through life and all kinds of difficulties and things like that. But as a believer, I also feel other people's pain. You know, that's that's part of walking with Christ, isn't it? And that's part of of ministry and compassion and all that kind of thing. The Spirit comes into our lives and He literally tenderizes our hearts so we feel. We feel, which, which is a good thing. We feel, we feel our pain, we feel other people's pain, and our pain can drive us to God, and us feeling other people's pain can drive us into ministry and compassion and healing and miracles that can happen in other people's lives. So as the Spirit comes into our life, we we experience more. We experience more of life. We experience more of its joys and more of its sorrows, but not just the sorrow part to make us sad, but the sorrow part that leads us back into joy like this passage talks about. Now, as a believer, you become more aware of sin. You become more aware of his consequences. So we we feel that. You know, you feel that a little bit more. And that's important. It's important. Now, let's talk about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says this. That Jesus is despised and, and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Okay, now we're talking about tears. It talks about jesus in in the in the mindset of sorrows and acquainted with grief. now here's an interesting thing about Jesus. He was acquainted with grief and sorrow just like we are. but Jesus was not a sorrowful person. He didn't walk around sad, he didn't walk around depressed, he didn't walk around melancholy he he You know, if I could picture Jesus in in my mind, walking the streets of Jerusalem and all the dusty roads of Galilee and all that kind of area, if I could picture Jesus in my mind, I see Jesus having a good time. Have you ever hung out with 12 guys? Man, have you ever hung out with 12 guys and walk a path with them? You ever done that? There is never a dull moment. Now there's some quiet ones in the bunch, but I can promise you with 12 and there is not everybody's quiet. There's going to be a jokester. There's going to be a prankster. There's going to be somebody to trip Jesus as he's walking down the street. You know what I'm talking about? There's going to be that going on. And Jesus was very attracted to people. You know, people that are they're walking around sorrowful not attractive. They're not attractive to people. But everywhere Jesus went, he attracted people. So I know he wasn't a sorrowful man. You know, they did, they did a great job. Have you ever seen the movie that's just simply called Matthew? Have you ever seen that? It's a depiction of, of the Gospel of Matthew in, in film. Uh, This guy, I forgot his name, Mary Cheney or something of that nature. It's an Italian name. But he plays Jesus, and he plays a real happy Jesus. Have you, everybody seen that, that movie, that clip? It is worth looking at just to see the perspective of like a happy Jesus. You know, when he's giving that, that talk about the plank in your eye, you know, you, you're you trying to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. You know, that's like comic relief. I mean, Jesus is out there with an illustration that is absolutely absurd and crazy. And the crowd was like probably laughing at Jesus, laughing with him. He was not a sorrowful person. That's my point. Jesus was full of joy. He was the strongest person that's ever lived. And the joy of the Lord was his strength. So it's possible for us to live as believers acquainted with grief and sorrows and helping people in grief and sorrows and still live in the strength of joy. It's kind of odd, isn't it? But it's possible. It's part of the miracle that's happening inside of us all the time. Why was Jesus able to do this? Well, he was able to plant his sorrow and as he planted his sorrow in God and his father, hope sprung up. Now, Matthew 26, 37, 38. Now listen to this. This is Jesus in a sorrowful moment. It says, He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with Me. Now now this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Jesus is going, going to go through the hardest time that a person could ever go through. As the Son of God and the Son of Man, He is is taking on the weight of sin and all the sorrow and all the grief and all the pain and all the sin of the world. He's in this moment and He says that my soul is deeply sorrowful and distressed. Now, but what was Jesus doing there in Gethsemane? What was He doing in Gethsemane? He, He was praying, wasn't He? He was there praying and in fact He was praying very intensely, the Scripture says, I want to just suggest to you this idea to pull out of Psalm 126, that Jesus was planting his sorrow into the heart of God right there in Gethsemane. We've got to learn to do the same thing. We've got to pass through Gethsemane where we plant our sorrows, go to the cross where things die in order to get to resurrection life where there's hope. That's just the process of this kingdom, isn't it? There's Gethsemane. There's the cross, and there's resurrection. We've all got to learn to go through that process. This is the way of Jesus in dealing with life, and especially the difficult points of life, all right. Now, planning and hope. Now, what do you do with your tears? Again, you can hold them in, but there's going to be consequence to that. You can just dump them out. You know, you have people do that to you, that, that, that people dump on you. They just dump it out. And then, then you go along the day and you're, you're, you're upset and depressed and now they feel better because they just dumped it on you. You, you, you know people like that? <laughs> you can hold it in or you can dump it out or you can plant that sorrow, that tear, that, that disappointment. You can plant it in God. And I want to tell you, beloved, how you handle your disappointments will determine how you and God walk forward. Disappointment's coming, isn't it? We've already had a load of them in our lifetime already. And I had a, one, a wise man tell me one time before, and it kind of shocked me that he would say something like this about God. He said, He said, Son, if you walk with God long enough, he will disappoint you. And I thought, well, that don't fit in my song. My song says he'll never disappoint me. <laughs> But you know, that's true. I found that to be true that, that because of my expectations and what I think things ought to happen and how this ought to go this way and how God ought to work in my life and in Sandy's life and in our kids' lives and all those kind of things and our life as, as a church family, I found out that my expectations don't always meet up with God's plan and right in the middle of all that comes disappointment for me. You ever have that happen? Where we prayed, asked God to heal him and he, he decided to do something different. That's disappointing so it, it, there is a truth in our, in our faith that if we walk with God long enough, He will disappoint us, but He won't just leave us hanging. Let me say that. He won't just leave us hanging. He, he, he's working something far greater and far better than we could ever imagine. And though my expectation doesn't line up with His plan and purpose, the fault's not on His end, the fault's on my end. So when disappointment comes, it means I need to re-synchronize myself with Him. Get my heart back in right, right place with Him. Now, Planting our tears in God. How do you do this? How do you plant your tears in God? How do you do that? Well, you learn to pray your sorrows. You know, we've all gone through a, a very difficult time and we're still going through it, and economically some, some things are transpiring even now that, that uh, is it, starting to hit home for many of us, okay? What, what do you do with that kind of sorrow that happens? And this says, guys, we don't have a lot of tears not coming out of our eyes, but there's a whole lot growing in our hearts. What do we do with our tears? What what do we do? You, You and I have to learn to pray those sorrows out. We've got to learn to pray those out to God. Okay? Now, you can hold it in again. You can go around the house just venting it out on everybody, which I've done that too. Or you can learn to pray those tears and sorrows. And by doing this, you plant them in God. Now, when I think about this, I think about the Psalms. You know, probably uh, there are basically two categories of Psalms. There's are Psalms of praise. There's a whole bunch of other categories you can put, but if you went two general categories, you'd have Psalms of praise and you'd have Psalms of lament or mourning or sorrow. You know, a lot of these Psalms were written by David. David teaches us what to do with our sorrow. When he's afraid, what does he do? He prays. When he's uncertain, what does he do? He prays. When he's mad, what does he do? I mean, there's some Psalms in there that I kind of like, but I shouldn't like them so much. It says, God, I want you to break their teeth in in two. You know, what's he doing right there? I I probably shouldn't like that as a pastor. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But I'd have those feelings from time to time. What do you do with those kind of feelings? Well, again, you can push them all down. You can keep it all in, and it'll just make you a rage lunatic eventually or kind of person that's just bitter. What, what, what are you going to do with that? Well, David taught us. He, he, see, David was processing that anger, but he didn't process it out here on the street corner where he's face-to-face with somebody. He processed it on his knees where he bent down in front of God and said, God, this is what I would like for you to do in their life. I don't even like them. I don't even like their appearance. And David prayed like that. What was he doing? He was planting that in the heart of God. Even those things in him that he wasn't pleased with necessarily. Maybe not even God would be pleased with. Now, do you trust God enough for that kind of relationship between you and him? Because, see, we're kind of conditioned in our religious mode and our church mode and all that kind of stuff. As we come and we present our best to God. Now, that's an appropriate expression from time to time. But when I got to get dirty, down and dirty between he and I, I don't always just give him my best. Sometimes I've got to give him my worst. You know what I'm talking about? That's what David learned to do. That's why David was a man after God's heart. Because he could worship God in every season, in every emotion, in every situation that he came. He could just, he was that tight with God. Are are you that tight with God? That where you can be that honest with him? Here's a little tip off. He already knows. He already knows. He, He can already see through us. So that can take the pressure off. We can just come clean and be honest. You know what I'm talking about? We can just be honest. And David was honest. And David wept before the Lord. He, he, he labored before the Lord. He cried before the Lord. And all you guys that think that, that, that tears are weakness, I'm going to tell you, the man who wrote all that stuff could whoop all of us if we got in a circle with him. <laughs> he was one of the toughest men that ever lived. David was. And yet he knew how to wield a sword and take care of his enemies. But he also knew how to drop to his knees and pour out his tears before God. And that's a great combo for a man, actually. The Psalms teach us to pour out all of our emotion, all of our heart. Planting our tears in God. Making God our counselor. Now, we usually plant our tears somewhere anyway. We plant them in a friend. We can plant them in a counselor. Or again, you can plant them within yourself. Everybody does this. We just don't always do it with God. Now, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Say that with me. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with it. Now, do you see the picture right there? There's a picture right there in that scripture that just shows a farmer, basically, and he's got seed. And his seed is his sorrow. His seed is his tears. It's his prayer. It's his hope. It's his faith. That's his seed. And he goes and he plants this sorrow and these tears. He's planting it in hopes that a harvest will come. And this miracle of harvest is just like the miracle of harvest with any seed. You plant a seed, a, a grain of wheat, and you get this stalk that comes up. It doesn't look anything like the seed. It comes up as a miracle of something else. This is the same way with sorrow. You plant sorrow and what you get in harvest is not more sorrow, you get joy. It's a miracle that happens in the harvest. It happens in everything that's alive actually. It's this farmer who expects a harvest of faith, hope, and love. So I'm not just weeping before God, I'm, I'm weeping in hope. Isn't that what Paul taught us? Then we don't just sorrow, we sorrow with hope. We mix it with faith, we mix it with hope. It's this seed bag that I, on purpose, plant my seed in the right place, the right way, hoping for something good to come out of it. Now it's Mother's Day. There's probably nobody that's cried more tears over my life than my mom. I hadn't always served Jesus. And even when I was a Christian, I wasn't always doing all the things I should have done. And I can promise you that because my mama knew how to do this, I'm here today, you know? Planting your tears in God. Well, let's wrap it up with this. Let's wrap it up with Psalm 62. It's one of my favorites concerning prayer. It says, My soul, 62, 5 8, five through eight my soul waits silently for God alone for my expectation is from him so my soul comes and I wait silently before God those are important times aren't they and my expectation is not of him but my expectation is from him whatever he wants I'm expecting but I'm expecting something from him not just of him Because expectations is some shaky ground sometimes. Verse number 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Verse number 8. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in Him at all times. And this is the statement I've loved. It just kind of stuck with me all throughout, throughout my life. Pour out your heart before Him. If you're happy, sing songs is what James says. If you're happy, pour your heart out before Him. Rejoice before God. Be thankful and bless His holy name, the psalmist says. Pour your heart out. If it's full of fear... Don't keep it in there and act like you're tough. See, God didn't come to make us tough. He came to make us courageous and strong. But He didn't want you to be tough. Tough is something else the other kingdom does. So if I'm afraid, I've got to pour that out. Pour it out before Him. If I'm hurting, if I'm in pain, if I'm in sorrow, and this is not right in my life, and this, this needs to turn around, this needs to change, or, or maybe it's a pain, or maybe it's a, a betrayal, or, or something of that nature, whatever it is. I, I poured that out before God, and I, in faith, I give it to Him. Now, you can give it to them, but you know what a sorrow is in somebody else's hands? Well, you hope it's a good thing, but I've come to learn that if I put my sorrows in the wrong hands, what happens to my sorrows? Well, they get spread like peanut butter, don't they? Or they get magnified in some way. So you can put your sorrows and pour your heart out to someone else. But if you pour your heart out to God, God can take your sorrow and turn that mourning. The scripture says he can turn it into joy. So I can, I can plant it in you. You can plant it in me. We'll try to give you a measure of comfort, as, if at all possible. But if we plant it in God, God's able to take sorrow, do a miracle, and turn it into joy. You understand what I'm talking about? So my, my encouragement is, let, let, let's learn from the way of Jesus. This is how Jesus lived his life. He planted his sorrow, his expectation, his frustration. I, 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 I know Jesus was the most patient man that's ever lived. But I, I, I got to believe he got frustrated from time to time. I hear it coming out in this conversation. Come on, guys. Oh, you have a little faith. What What are you doing here? Did, did you forget about the fish and five loaves? Did you forget about all the miracles? I, I can hear some of his frustration. So what did he do? He had to plant that in God so that he could reap a better harvest. God can take our sorrows. We plant it in him. He can turn it into a miracle of joy. Amen. I mean, you believe that? So I just encourage you. Moms and dads over your children. You know, motherhood and fatherhood is one of the greatest things in the world. It's also one of the most difficult things in the world. And the people that you love the most can give you the most joy. But guess what the other side of that coin is? The opposite's true, too. Maybe it's the sorrow about your finances and all the kind of things. Maybe it's your health. Whatever it might be. Take that disappointment, that frustration, that sorrow, that tear. Plant it in the heart of God. And let's see what he'll do with it. Amen.